0: Good morning. Good morning. I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 11. Last week we looked at Genesis 11.10 through 12.3 and uh, this, this morning uh, there's going to be a little bit of overlap uh, but we're looking at Genesis 11.27 to 12.9 and I just want to go ahead and read that passage for us. Genesis chapter 11 starting in verse 27. Actually, I'm sorry, I'm going to start in verse 31. Verse 31. Holy Scripture says, Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there, to the place at Shechem, to the Oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. This is God's word and it is for our good. Let's pray. Father, when you are near, you speak, you appeared to Abram and said I will give this land to your descendants father I pray that you would draw near to us this morning and speak we pray that you would unfold the scriptures for us in a way that would nourish our hearts and minds and equip us to live holy lives we pray in Jesus name Amen. In this message, I would like us to consider four, di- four different aspects of Abram's journey from Ur to Canaan the where, the why, the when, and the worship. So let's begin with the where. Terah and his son Abram, along with Abram's wife Sarai and his nephew Lot, set out on a long journey. They departed from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan, as Genesis 11.31 says. Where is Ur of the Chaldeans? When it comes to ancient cities, it's not always possible to identify their location with absolute certainty. Many scholars think that Ur of the Chaldeans is in southern Babylonia, which on a modern map would mean southern Iraq. What is clear is that Ur is situated within what we know as ancient Mesopotamia, which is the land flanked by the Euphrates River to the west and the Tigris River to the east. There's an interesting connection between Genesis chapters 10 and 11 and the book of Daniel and it helps us to understand the bigger picture significance of what is going on here. The early chapters in the book of Daniel are set in the kingdom of Babylon, which is related to Nimrod's kingdom-building effort at Babel in Genesis chapters 10 and 11. Further, the effort to build the city and tower at Babel took place in the land of Shinar, Genesis 11:2. 2 And the beginning of the book of Daniel tells us that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, brought some of the vessels from the temple in Jerusalem to the land of Shinar to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God Daniel 1:2 Finally while Abram went from Ur of the Chaldeans to the land of Canaan when the nation of Judah fell under God's judgment many centuries later to the Babylonians Daniel and his friends had to travel in reverse Once in Babylon, Daniel, that faithful statesman and prophet, was taught the literature and language of the Chaldeans, Daniel 1 4. In Daniel chapters 2 to 5, the Chaldeans were among the wise men of Babylon. In Daniel chapter 3, certain Chaldeans attempted to bring the faithful Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to ruin, and in In Daniel chapter 5, the wicked king of Babylon is referred to as Belshazzar the Chaldean king. So, geographic locations aside, Shinar and Babylon and the Chaldeans embody that which is idolatrous, rebellious, ungodly. To take but one example, there is a well-known ancient city called Ur in southern Mesopotamia. It might be this Ur that is known to have worshipped Nana, the moon god, for which they had a center of worship. In a theological sense, the entire world system under the sway of sin is referred to as Babylon the Great, Revelation 17.5. And the call upon those who would follow the Lord is always to separate from Babylon. Babylon. Revelation 18.4. And to wait with great expectation for the holy city, New Jerusalem. Revelation 21.2. Which will come down to earth at the appointed time. Abram's journey from Ur to Canaan was a physical journey in one sense, of course. But in a deeper sense, it represents the call of God upon all of his pilgrim people to make a decisive break from the kingdoms of this world and to anchor one's hope and future in the kingdom that God is building. Now, the journey of Terah and Abram from Ur to Canaan was interrupted, Genesis eleven thirty-one. 31. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Once again, it is difficult to locate some ancient cities with certainty. That said, there is a well-known ancient city of Haran in modern-day Turkey. It was on the northwestern edge of Mesopotamia, right on the doorsteps of Asia Minor. It's interesting to note that the ancient city of Haran was also characterized by moon worship. And an encyclopedia article says that Haran was founded as a merchant colony by Sumerian traders from Ur. Interesting. If, if that Ur and Haran are the same as the ones that appear in Genesis chapter 11, then it might suggest that Terah and Abram traveled along a well-established trade route from Ur to Haran, and that would have been a journey of several hundred miles to the northwest, from Ur to Haran along the Euphrates River. We don't know why Terah and Abram decided to settle down in Haran. What we do know is that Terah never made it to Canaan, but Abram did. Now, the location of the land of Canaan, we do know with certainty... Uh, Canaan refers to the land that is situated between the Mediterranean Sea to the west and the Sea of Galilee, Jordan River, and Dead Sea to the east. Uh, From the ancient city of Haran, Canaan lay a few hundred miles to the south southwest. And as we see in Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 6, it's clear that Abram approached uh, the land of Canaan from the north. Because the first location mentioned in Canaan is Shechem in chapter 12, verse 6. That's the most northern location, and then they went a little bit. Abram went a little bit south and landed between Bethel and Ai, and then he went further to the south to southern Canaan to the Negeb, which is the dry land in southern Canaan. And so Genesis 12, 5 to 9 is telling us that Abram traversed and surveyed the entire land of Canaan from the north to the south. That's the where. Now let's move to the why question. When we read Genesis 11, verse 31, it looks like Terah is taking the lead, right? Verse 31 says, Terah took Abram and Lot and Sarai. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans. When we read the beginning of chapter 12, it looks like the Lord spoke to Abram after his father died. In other words, it looks like the Lord called Abram when Abram lived in Haran. That's how it looks. But the Bible gives us additional information. And so I want you to listen to what the Lord says to Abram in chapter 15. Chapter 15, verse 7, and he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. The Lord brought Abram out of Ur. By the way, does that that language sound familiar? Much later, the Lord would say to the nation of Israel after he rescued them from Egypt. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Exodus 22. Redemption is always out from or out of or from. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Colossians 1.13. From darkness, from darkness to the kingdom of light. From Egypt to Canaan. From Ur to Canaan. The Lord brought Abram out from Ur rather than out from Haran. Now turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6 because there's one other passage that we must consider and it really makes it clear that Abram actually received the call of Genesis 12 1 to 3 while he was living in Ur. Okay so We know that from Acts chapter 6 and 7. So, in Acts chapter 6, we meet Stephen. Stephen was a mighty mighty man of God. We know that he was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Acts 6-5. We know that he was full of grace and power, Acts 6-8. And we know from Acts 6-10 that his opponents could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And this Stephen preached a remarkable sermon in Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 2 and running all the way to verse 53. The first reason this is a remarkable sermon is because in 52 verses, Stephen covers the the full gamut of redemptive history from the call of Abram running all the way through the prophets and culminating in the coming of the Messiah. The second reason Stephen's sermon is remarkable is because it got him killed at the hands of his hostile audience. But what I want you to see is Acts chapter seven, verses two to four, and Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Notice that the Lord appeared to Abram and spoke to Abram, the very words of Genesis 12-1, when Abram still lived in Ur. And that answers the why question. Abram left Ur because the Lord told him to leave. As for Terah, we don't know why Terah left Ur. Did Terah also receive instructions from the Lord? We don't know. Did Terah have reasons of his own to go on this trip and it just so happened to coincide with the Lord's call upon Abram? We don't know. Did Abram tell his father that the Lord had told him to go, and did Terah decide to join in? We don't know. All we know is that they journeyed together, and in that journey from Ur to Haran, Terah functioned as you would expect, as the father who takes the lead and takes others with with him. But whatever other circumstances may have been involved, what we know for sure is that Abram's departure from Ur was in response to the Lord's call upon him. And so, learn, learn, learn a practical lesson here. Regardless of what other people are doing and why they are doing it, we need to make sure that we are walking in obedience to God's instruction and that our eyes are upon Him. At the most fundamental level, it was Abram's heavenly father, not his earthly father, who took him out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Third, uh, we come to the when question, uh, the when of Abram's journey. And by when, I'm referring to the timing of events in relationship to one another. Uh, interesting stuff here. First of all, we know from Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7 that the call of Genesis 12, 1 to 3 took place before Genesis eleven thirty one. 31. And it gives us the primary reason that Abram left Ur. Now you might scratch your head and wonder, why would information be presented like this? Why does what happened in Genesis 12, one through three actually happen before Genesis 11:31? 31? Well, there's a really good reason for it. Because in Genesis 1127 27 through 32, the author is trying to focus on Terah. And he wants to close off that small little chapter dealing with Terah so we can focus on Abraham but as far as the actual chronology goes the call of genesis to 3 happened before genesis 11:31 and then abraham's initial obedience to the call of god coincides with the travels that are identified in genesis 11:31 and then in genesis 11:32 terah dies in haran and then after terah dies abram departs from haran as indicated at the end of genesis 12:4 and thus Abram journeys with his wife and nephew and this larger entourage of people that he had acquired in Haran and they go to the land of Canaan. The second time-related matter to raise is the question of Terah's age when Abram was born and Terah's age when Abram left Haran. This question may not have occurred to you as you read the text, but odds are that it will come to your attention at some point, so why not right now? To begin with, we know that Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, Genesis 12:4. If Abram was born when Terah was 70 years old as Genesis 11:26 seems to suggest, then Abram would have left Haran when Sarah was 145 years old, 60 years before Terah died. If the only information I had in front of me was Genesis 11:26 to 12:3, that's how I would read it. But do you remember what Stephen said in Acts chapter 7? After telling us that Abram lived in Haran in Acts 7, 4, Stephen then said, and after his father died, God removed Abram from there into this land in which you are now living. So now we have some definite time markers. Terah died when he was 205 years old. Genesis eleven thirty two. 32. Abram left Haran after Terah died and Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Now you can do the math. That means that Abram was born when Terah was 130 years old. But now you're gonna ask, can that possibly be scared, squared with Genesis 11:26, 26, which says when Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran? And the answer, and the answer is yes, it is possible. It's entirely possible that Genesis 11:26 26 carries this meaning. When Terah had lived 70 years, he became a father. He began to have sons, not triplets. They had sons in succession, ended up having three sons who were born at different times. Abram is named first, not because he was the firstborn but because he was the most prominent son. He was the seed son. He's the son that's going to be talked about from Genesis 12, 1 to 25, 11. And so he's, he's placed in the place of prominence. He's named first because he's prominent, not because he was born first. And so perhaps Nahor or Haran was born first, and when Terah was 70 years old, um, when, when Terah was 70 years old, and then 60 years later, Terah fathered Abram, when Terah was 130 years old. By the way, I, I was reading Matthew Henry's commentary, uh, I think it was yesterday, and that, that's, exactly, that's exactly how he argues, he argues the exact same way that Abram uh, must have been born when Terah was 130 years old. Now, you're probably sitting out there thinking, this interesting, eh, mildly interesting. I, how, how is this going to help me in my walk with the Lord? Well, actually, what we just did might help you in your walk with the Lord because of this. People who take the Bible seriously as God's perfect and inerrant word believe in the principle of letting Scripture interpret Scripture. We don't just read Genesis 11.26 in isolation or Genesis 11.32 in isolation or Genesis 12.4 in isolation or Acts chapter 7 in isolation. We, we read the scriptures together and we let the scripture interpret the scripture. We work outward from what is most clear to what is less clear and we put it together in a way that respects all of God's word as trustworthy and reliable my assumption is that the holy spirit inspired author of genesis chapter 11 was not confused my assumption is that the holy spirit empowered preacher stephen in acts chapter 7 was not confused and i am confident that the holy spirit was not and is not confused sometimes we may not fully understand how certain scriptures fit together but we must do our best To put the scriptures together, always honoring the authority, reliability, and integrity of the scriptures. Finally, and most importantly, the worship. This is where we'll spend most of our time. God intends all of the wheres and all of the whys, all of the whens, and all of the hows, and all of the what's of life. To lead to this one place, the place of true worship, the place of humble admiration when we stand in awe of the Lord God Almighty and glorify his name. God designed the universe to reverberate with joyful praise, the joyful praise of his glorious grace. We see this most pointedly in Genesis chapter 12, verses seven and eight. But the high point of worship in Genesis 12:7 and eight follows Abraham's obedience to the Lord's word. And so let's start there. The Lord's call to Abram in Genesis 12:1 to3 is loaded up with great promises. The Lord promised to show Abram the land, verse one, to make of Abram a great nation, verse two, to bless Abram and make his name great, verse two, and to make Abram a source of blessing to the entire world, verses two and three. But in order to live in the reality of God's generous blessing, Abram had to go. He had to trust the Lord's promise and bank his future on the worth and the trustworthiness of what the Lord had promised him. The lavish promises that the the Lord set before Abram were introduced by a command to go. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Leave the familiar and go forth to discover the fullness of a God-built future that is better than you can possibly imagine. As our Lord Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house." Or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands. Sounds like Genesis 12.1. No one who's left these things for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Mark 10, verses 29 and 30 our initial obedience to the Lord's command should be understood as an act of worship, an act of homage to the king, an act of submission to the king's word. It's taking God seriously. It's discovering that God's compelling and promising word is so much better than the empty words of our bankrupt world. It's realizing that God's steadfast love is better than life. It's letting God's word govern your life. You really don't know where that first step of obedience will lead. But how can you walk with God unless you obey God's words? So you set out putting one step in front of the other. You keep your ear to the heavens and your feet to the path and you walk with the Lord in the light of his word and you go to wherever he has promised to lead you. This is an indispensable aspect of true worship, bowing down to listen to the Lord's word, and then rising up to do what he has said. That's what Abram did. He received the call, and he walked in obedience from Ur to Haran to Canaan. Abram went as the Lord had told him, Genesis twelve four through obedience, Abram came to the land that God promised to show him, and once Abram arrived there, God showed him the land and made the promise that is found in verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Now, don't miss the obvious. Abram's obedience to Genesis 1, go to the land that I will show you, put him in a position to receive the promise of Genesis 12, seven, to your offspring, I will give this land. Many people never make it to the next blessing from the Lord because they don't live obediently in response to the prior blessing that they received. But obeying the Lord always leads to greater depth in your relationship with the Lord, further, our obedience to the Lord should culminate in specific acts of praise and thanksgiving. Our growing relationship with the Lord should be punctuated by specific acts of sacrifice and worship. Notice the progression from Genesis 12:1 to 12:7. The Lord calls Abram verse 1, Abr- Abram obeyed the Lord verses 4 to 6, the Lord promises to give the land of Canaan to Abram's offspring the first half of verse 7. And then Abram builds an altar to the Lord, the second half of verse 7. Without the obedience, our acts of worship are a sham. And that's why in Isaiah chapter 1, the Lord tells the worshipers to go home. Because their disobedient lives made them unfit for worship. Noah, there's a pattern here. Noah obeyed the Lord, Genesis 6, 22, 7, 5, 8, 18. And afterward, he built an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings on the altar, Genesis 8:20. Abram obeyed the Lord, Genesis 12:4 to6, and afterward built an altar to the Lord, verse seven. That's the pattern. What some people think of as great worship experiences, because the music is great and the energy is high and the aesthetics are pleasing. To the senses and the charisma of the people up front, keep, up front keeps everyone on the edge of their seat, are most assuredly not true worship experiences if their everyday lives are characterized by disobedience, worldliness, and compromise. But when God's people discover the way of faith, the way of repentance, the way of transformation and obedience and spiritual growth, then they will be compelled by God's word and by their common faith to gather together before the Lord and to bring their sacrifices to him. Abel, Genesis 4, 4, and Noah, Genesis eight twenty brought animal sacrifices to the Lord. That's probably what Abram was also doing in Genesis 12, verses 7 and 8. We don't bring animal sacrifices because the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, offered himself as the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. But we still bring sacrifices. We bring the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Psalm 116, verse 17. We bring the sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13:15. We bring the sacrifice of sharing what we have with others. Hebrews 13:16. We bring the sacrifice of ourselves as a living sacrifice. Genesis, I'm sorry, Romans, Romans 12:1. And when we have sinned, we bring the sacrifice of a broken and contrite heart. Genesis, uh, Psalm 51, 17. With these specific and concrete acts of worship, we celebrate the Lord and his goodness toward us. Now notice an important detail about Abram's worship. We're, we're getting to like the culminating point here. It's a huge lesson for us. Abram's worship in Genesis twelve, seven immediately follows the Lord's promise. To your offspring... I will give this land. Abram responded to this promise by building there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And what this shows us is that worshiping God is the right and fitting response to hearing his promises. This is a vitally important principle that we need to get a hold of. It would be easy for us to be fickle and immature people who reason like this. We will worship God after he fulfills his promises. Of course, we should worship God after he fulfills his promises, but we should also worship God before he fulfills them. And what stands out in Genesis 12, 7, and 8 is that Abram worshipped God immediately after hearing the promise and long before the promise was ever fulfilled. Genesis 12, 7 begins... Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Abram did not respond with a sarcastic, yeah, right. He didn't respond with a skeptical, no way, or we'll see about that. Abram didn't respond with a cautious, I'll believe it when I see it if he had responded with sarcasm or skepticism or disbelief, he would not have been able to worship God. In fact, however, Abram believed God. He believed God's promise. He'd already experienced God's trustworthiness. God had brought Abram out from Ur to the land that he he promised to show him, and now he was showing him the land So Abram had tasted the Lord's faithfulness already and now when the Lord promised to give the land to his descendants, Abram believed the Lord. And when the promise of God is mixed with true faith in the believer's heart, the believer responds with praise and thanksgiving long before the promise is actually fulfilled. After all, if God has promised it, it's as good as done. For he who created the heavens and the earth by his powerful word will not fail to carry out the words that he has promised to perform in the future. God is faithful and he will do it. God's promise and Abram's confidence in God's promise is accentuated by the fact that the Canaanites were in the land, Genesis 12, 6. Abram saw the land and he would have seen that the land was occupied by other people. Specifically, the land of Canaan was occupied by the descendants of Canaan who was under a curse, Genesis 9.25. God's plan was to uproot the descendants of the cursed one out of the land and instead give the land to the descendants of Abram, the blessed one. God's plan was to turn Canaan from an accursed land into a blessed land from which would go forth blessing to the whole world. And what I want you to appreciate is this. Abram saw the land and he saw that it was occupied by the Canaanites and yet he believed what his ears heard not what his eyes saw. That's how faith works. When the ten, contrast that, when the ten unbelieving Israelite spies operating under the same promise of God When they scoped out the land of Canaan four centuries later, they did not believe God's promise, but were instead overwhelmed by the mighty Canaanites that they could see with their eyes. But Abram reasoned on the basis of God's word, not on the basis of sensory data. Abraham heard God's word, and that settled the matter for Abram. Thus, he was free to offer up praise and thanksgiving to the Holy One who would surely do what he had promised to do. Like Abram, we also must learn to meet God's promises with faith. We need to learn, we we need to lean into those specific promises that God has not fulfilled yet. As we look at the sensory data that surrounds us, as we look at the breaking apart of our culture, the moral confusion, the bitter politics, the economic unknowns, the assault on marriage and family, and the general chaos of our society, it's possible to grow a wee bit discouraged. If not, altogether anxious or overwhelmed. But God wants us to hear his promises and to let his promises settle the matter for us. In the the moment of God's promise to Abram, Abram was not preoccupied with the when or the how. How? of the Canaanites being uprooted out of the land. He wasn't preoccupied with the when and the how of how his descendants would come to occupy the land. In fact, remember, Abram is 75 years old at this point and he doesn't have any offspring yet and his wife Sarai is barren as we learned in chapter 11. But he believes God's word. And he worships the God who holds all things in his hand. We also are not to be preoccupied with the logistics of the when or the how God's promises will come to pass in the future. Instead, we are to let God's promises concerning the future lead us to worship him today. Now let's get, let's get a little more specific. The Lord promised Abram, to your offspring I will give this land. What has the Lord promised us? I could probably come up with a couple hundred things, but I want to focus on this line of thought. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Matthew 5, 5. In Genesis 12, the Lord promised to give Abram's descendants the land of Canaan. Now the Lord has promised to give his followers the entire world. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the heir of all things, Hebrews 1, 2, and we are fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him, Romans eight seventeen, We suffer with Christ now, but God's promise is that we will be glorified with Christ in the future, and when we are glorified, the entire earth that we inherit will be set free from its bondage to corruption and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God, Romans eight twenty one, When the Lord brings his promises to completion, The entire renewed creation will be populated by God's redeemed people, the faithful and true worshipers who became so by the blood of the Lamb. Every unbelieving and immoral and idolatrous person will be uprooted from the world and cast into the lake of fire, Revelation 21 and 22. On that glorious day, the Lord will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Revelation 21.4. We will enjoy unhindered fellowship with the triune God and with one another forever. That's the future that God has promised to his people. Abram was to look at the miniature world of Canaan and think, one day the Lord is going to uproot the Canaanites out of the land. And he's going to turn the land of many idols into the beautiful land characterized by true worship. And he's going to bring his chosen ones into the land and prosper them there. If any of the Canaanites repent and want to join us, yes and amen. And in the midst of that pagan land, while it was still pagan, what did Abram do? He put down stakes, built an altar to the Lord. In the midst of pagan Canaan, Abram worshipped God knowing that pagan Canaan would one day be set free from its Canaanite corruptions and would be liberated to bear good fruit and enjoy Sabbath rest under the care of the sons of Abram. Now, we need to take a page out of Abram's book. We must look at the entire world, including our own country, our own region, and think, one day, the Lord is going to uproot all unbelievers out of the land. Oh, we'd be glad for any who would repent and believe and join us, but for those who don't, the Lord's going to uproot all unbelievers out of the land and He's going to turn this idolatrous world into a beautiful world characterized by true worship for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, Habakkuk 2.14. And He's going to give the entire world to His faithful and meek people who will reign with Christ forever. We should believe and declare to all the world that the future of the world is the glory of the Lord shining forth in the joy of His redeemed people before whom the mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing, Isaiah 55.12. Communism has no lasting future, Marxism has no lasting future, big government tyranny has no lasting future, Islam has no lasting future, selfish ambition has no lasting future, lawlessness and unrighteousness has no lasting future, sexual perversion has no lasting future, lies have no lasting future. Higher godless education has no lasting future. Clever social commentary that talks as if God is not there has no lasting future. Idols and godless ideologies have no lasting future. This godless world system has no future. Every idol will be toppled. Every offensive thing will be removed and every enemy of Christ will be subdued. And everyone who is caught up in the world's rebellion will perish along with all of their idols. But God has promised to us a lasting future that never ends. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. First John 2.17 When you have heard and understood and believed these promises, the first and most important thing to do and to keep on doing is to humbly bow down and worship the Lord. We don't know when or how he's going to accomplish all that he has promised to accomplish, but we know that he will accomplish it, and that is reason enough to sing praise to the Lord. So let's do what Abram did. Let's greet the unspeakably good promises of God with faith. Let's put down the stakes of true worship in this idolatrous land. Because God has promised to give this land along with the entire world to His faithful people. He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Romans 8.32 And indescribably, bright future has been promised to us and secured for us by the blood of Christ. Therefore, stop your worrying. Let's praise God in this place. And not only in this place. All praise to Him who reigns above in majesty supreme. We're going to sing that in just a couple minutes. Fill fill this land with the praise of God. And let's pray our, 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 our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name, Your kingdom come, Your will be done. Where? Right here on earth as it is in heaven. We call upon His name knowing that He who promised is faithful and He will most certainly do it. And let that free us to praise Him. Father, I pray... That you would free our hearts from all of the lies and the distortions and the half-truths and the, the doubts and the overcautions that tempt us. I pray that we would be unhindered in the praise of God. You've, you've brought us out of darkness into the light for this very purpose: that we would declare your praises and your excellence. Grant that it would grow and overflow throughout this land, and we pray that you would draw many more sons and daughters to glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.